get used to different. This has become my favorite line from the show, The Chosen. In fact, on Sunday morning, we're going to show a clip from the show. We can't do that through the podcast, but if you haven't started watching this show yet, I want to encourage you to download The Chosen app and start watching it as soon as you're able to. It's completely free and well worth your time. Today, we're starting a new series called Get Used to Different. This series is all about learning from Jesus to live like Jesus. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the mission, motive, and methods of Jesus. So what was his purpose here on earth? Why did he do what he did? And how did he accomplish the work God the Father gave him? Then we're going to spend four weeks talking about the different stages of spiritual growth in our own lives and how God is challenging us to keep growing. This will be an intentional focus on Christian maturity. Friends, my hope for this series is that you're given a clear and simple picture of how to faithfully follow Jesus and how to keep growing in your faith. In 2018, the pastor I served with at Lakewood Christian Church in McAllister, Oklahoma, his name is Cliff House, he handed off the baton to his successor. Now, I don't say that figuratively. He actually handed off a baton. After 30-plus years of faithfully serving the same church, he planned to preach his last sermon. On a Sunday morning, Cliff got up to preach, and he only delivered half a message. Now, it's fall. It's football season, so I think if I did that, a lot of you would be thrilled. After preaching just half a message, he started talking about how important it is to hand off the important work that God has given us to the next generation. He told the church that they were going to play a huge role in the change in leadership because they are the church. They're the body of Christ. As he talked about the importance of leaving the right kind of legacy, he passed a baton throughout the sanctuary, giving each person the opportunity to receive it, hold it, and then pass it on to the next person. After just a few minutes, the baton made its way back to the front of the stage where Cliff personally handed it off to the new pastor. The baton symbolized the important work that lied ahead, you know, faithfully preaching God's word, shepherding and caring for the congregation well, and being a man of prayer who would one day give an account to God for the church he led. This was no small task, and Cliff wanted the new pastor to know that the church he was serving had his back, and they were there to support him every step of the way. After the new pastor received the baton, he preached the last half of the sermon. I love the idea of passing a baton. You know, if you're in a leadership role in the church, maybe you serve as a deacon, an elder, a ministry leader, or you're one of our paid staff members, you've been given the awesome privilege and responsibility of equipping others for the work of the ministry. As we equip others, we should always be thinking about how we can leave things better than how we found them for the next generation. Now, if you're not in leadership, but you're using the gifts that God has given you uh, to serve in and through the local church, you're actually a steward of whatever ministry you're a part of. And how you leave that ministry will say a lot about the kind of work that was accomplished and about your character as a follower of Christ. I'm giving this some serious thought. I think it'd be great if we could start passing a baton when someone moves on from a particular ministry and when a new person steps in to lead. Not only does it highlight the importance of equipping others and modeling and teaching a life of faith, but it's also following in the footsteps of Jesus, the one who has invited all of us to participate in God's mission. I think this is what Jesus was doing in Matthew 28 when he gave his disciples his great commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is what we read. 
Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So these verses in Matthew 28 are known as the Great Commission. These were some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. This moment was the original handing off of the baton. These early disciples were invited into God's mission and were given something of greater value than all the material wealth on earth. Understanding this mission, or Great Commission, and how God has called all Christians to participate in it will help us better understand God's purpose for our lives. Now, if you're a new Christian, don't allow the word great in the phrase Great Commission to intimidate you. Just because the word great is attached doesn't mean that it's only for great Christians or great preachers. I love what Dan Spader says. He's the author of the book, Four Chair Discipling. He says, the Great Commission is great because it summarizes Christ's life. It's great because it has to do with the gospel, yet it's an everyday commission. It's an everyday mission for every Christian, for every moment of our everyday lives. It's great because of Jesus and because of who he is, but it's an everyday commission for all of us. Jesus was handing off the baton. He was teaching his disciples that Christians are to do for the rest of their lives what he had done in his. Friends, we're called to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus. That's what being a disciple, a follower of Jesus is all about. When Jesus gave us his great commission, he did so with two promises attached, one at the beginning and one at the end. I think this was intentional. First, he said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So all authority belongs to Jesus. And then he said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So as we're called to participate in God's mission, we have these promises that we can claim that God is in control And we don't have to try and accomplish this mission in our own strength. Our mission here at OCC is to make more and better disciples. This comes directly from the Great Commission. Our mission is really God's mission. It's a mission that we've been invited into. And as we work to accomplish this mission, we know that we're not left to our own devices. God is in control. You know, all authority belongs to him, and he's always with us. Today, I'd like to spend some time helping you understand the Great Commission and why we do what we do as a church. The Great Commission consists of a command and three action steps, steps that help us understand how we can accomplish the work that God has called us to do. The command is simple. Make disciples. Make disciples. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Make disciples of all nations. This single activity is what Jesus' life was all about. Jesus spent his time investing in a few men and women, helping them grow in their faith and teaching them how to make more disciples. Now, if you go back and read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as the book of Acts, you'll notice how quickly the good news about Jesus spread throughout Jerusalem and eventually throughout the rest of the world. By the time the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church at Colossae, He wrote this letter around A.D. 60, and Colossae was a city in Asia Minor. So by the time he wrote this letter, this is what he was able to share. I think this is amazing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6 says, This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. 
It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So Paul was able to report to these Christians that the same good news that changed their life was being spread all over the world. It was changing lives everywhere. This was happening within just a few decades. During his earthly ministry, Jesus practiced what he preached. He lived out the mission that he passed on to his disciples in his great commission. Jesus spent his time making disciples who learned how to make more disciples. These early Christians went from being lost and dead in their sin to believing and following Jesus to learning how to fish for people. You know, many of them were fishermen by trade. They knew how to fish for fish, but Jesus taught them how to fish for people. They served Jesus with their lives, and they learned how to bear fruit for God, being disciples who made more disciples. So this is the everyday commission that Jesus passed on to these individuals, and it's meant for all Christians at all times. Make disciples of all nations. That's the command. Well, the Great Commission continues with three action steps. These action steps are go, baptize, and teach. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. These three action steps help us understand how we're to make disciples. You can think of them as the ingredients that make up the cake. While our mission as a church is to make more and better disciples, we accomplish our mission by inviting people to come and hear the good news about Jesus, by equipping people to grow in their faith, and by sending people to serve using the various gifts God has given them. So this also comes directly from the Great Commission. Let's break down these three action steps so that we can better understand how we can make more and better disciples. Action step number one, go. Although the Great Commission is usually translated, um, go and make disciples, the verb for go is best translated as going or as you go. You see, making disciples isn't meant to be a special event that only happens on Sundays. Instead, we're called to make disciples everywhere we go, at work, at school, in the home, and in our neighborhoods. Jesus was saying, as you go about your day, walk as he walked and do as he did. This is an everyday action step for every follower of Jesus. He's saying, as you go, make disciples. Action step number two is baptize. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So baptizing people into Christ and into the church is an important action step if we're going to be successful at making more and better disciples. Here at OCC, we baptize by immersion. The word baptize in the Greek is the word baptizo, which means to immerse or to dip. While baptism in and of itself doesn't save you, only Jesus saves you, we do believe that baptism is part of God's plan of salvation. It's the first act of obedience after you've believed in Jesus, once you've repented of sin and confessed your belief publicly to others. I think it's so important to understand that a person can be baptized and not have saving faith. But if you have saving faith, you'll be baptized. So we baptize by immersion because that's the only mode or method of baptism throughout the entire New Testament. 
We do this because Jesus was baptized and commands us to baptize others. Because it demonstrates that an individual is a follower of Jesus. It illustrates Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And it illustrates a person's new life in Christ. Now, if you understand the gospel, if you believe in Jesus and have repented of your sin, the next step is to publicly confess that belief to others and be baptized into Christ. Now, if you were sprinkled as a baby or have never made the personal decision to follow Jesus and be immersed, I'd love to meet with you and talk about baptism. I'd love to answer any questions that you might have. And if you're ready to be baptized, friends, we'd love to celebrate that decision with you. Action step number three is teach. Matthew chapter 28, the first part of verse 20 says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. We have to remember, a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. This action step reminds us that following Jesus involves a lifetime of learning. Disciples are learners. One requirement for following Jesus is that you're teachable. If you're stuck in your ways, you're not going to grow in your faith, and you won't be an effective Christian. Now, I don't mean being stuck in your ways when it comes to theology and doctrine. You know, we hold tight to the truths of Scripture. But if you're stuck in your ways relationally, you know, you're not willing to get to know new people. If you're stuck in your ways only serving in a few areas in the church and you're not willing to grow, you're not going to be effective in your walk with Christ. It's also important to note that being a disciple doesn't mean we fill up all of our time with Sunday school classes or growth groups. You know, these things are very important. I encourage everyone to be a part of a group. But being a disciple is more about having a lifestyle of faith. It's about our daily walk with Christ. You know, classes can and should be a part of that, but it's not the main thing. An important step in making more and better disciples is teaching new believers how to be lifelong learners so they can be an effective witness for Christ. In a few weeks from now, we're going to talk more about some of the essential truths that we should be teaching new Christians. So these are the characteristics that define their new life in Christ and the things that help them live faithfully for Christ as they grow in maturity. The Great Commission is an everyday commission that's given to every believer for every moment of his or her life. It's the handing off of the baton, challenging Christians to do for the rest of their lives what Jesus did in his But why did Jesus spend his time making disciples? He could have spent his time focusing solely on social justice. You know, some people preach that he did. I wouldn't agree with that. He could have spent all of his time teaching in the synagogues. Uh, Some people think he was just a good teacher. Or he could have spent his time healing everyone he came in contact with. You know, he healed a lot of people, and God is the great physician. He, He did a lot of these things, but his primary focus was on making disciples. So what was Jesus' motivation? Why did he do what he did? Understanding his motive will help us understand why we do what we do as a church. So while the Great Commission helps us understand our mission, the Great Commandment helps us understand our motive. Dan Spader wrote that the Great Commission establishes our priorities. So our priorities are the things that we're involved in, the things that really matter. He goes on to say that the Great Commandment clarifies our passion. So the great commandment is the why behind the what. The great commandment, the motive behind our mission is found in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And this is what we read. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So the great commandment is to love God and love people. I would say that love is the greatest Christian motive. It was Jesus's motive, and it should be ours as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 reminds us that we love because he first loved us. So love is a gift from God, demonstrated perfectly through Christ's work on the cross. God's love always takes the initiative, and our love is always a response to that love. God's love is the source of all real human love. Because God made the first move and demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners, according to Romans 5.8, we can now learn to love God and love others in the way that we were created to. So the very next verse in 1 John 4 verse 20 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So loving God means loving people. These two things cannot be separated. You know, I've had people ask me the question, um, surely we're not supposed to love everyone, right? Or what about the neighbor I don't get along with or the coworker who's always talking bad behind my back? Well, thankfully, Jesus settled this dilemma when he shared a parable in Luke chapter 10. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And this particular parable is so timely because um, it relates directly to what we're talking about today. In Luke chapter 10, an expert in religious law tried to trap Jesus by asking him how we're supposed to live out the great commandment. Now, when you read the parable, you understand that this guy just wanted to justify his own sinful actions by asking Jesus who his neighbors really were. Um, He didn't really want to love his neighbors. Jesus answered his question with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So put simply, this parable teaches that anyone you come in contact with and need your help is your neighbor. In the parable, the Samaritan, who was the least likely candidate to stop and help a hurting Jew, was the one who decided to stop and help. You see, after being attacked by robbers, a priest and a Levite walked right past the hurting Jewish man, but the Samaritan didn't. Now, you need to understand that Samaritans and Jews, they typically hated each other. And there's several reasons for this. But in this parable, love is what made the difference. I think this is a great reminder that love was always Jesus' motivation. And it should be ours as well. The great commission and the great commandment are not mutually exclusive. If we say we're committed to making disciples but we lack love, then our efforts are like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if we say we love God and love people, but we're not committed to making disciples, then our love is a lie. The great commission and the great commandment belong together. Because we love God, we love people. And because we love people, we're committed to making disciples. Friends, if we get so focused on our mission that we neglect loving others well, then we'll have gained nothing. We'll have added nothing of value to God's kingdom. Dan Spader says that as we love God, we'll love people. And as we love people the way God loves us, we'll be engaged in making disciples. So the great commission and the great commandment, these two things belong together. 
Our mission is to make more and better disciples. Loving God and loving people, that's our motive. That's what fuels our passion. As we learn from Jesus to live like Jesus, we'll learn how to love God, love people, and make disciples who learn how to make more disciples.